Hey y'all, welcome to the Low Key Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Keith, and I'm joined today with Tim. Um, today, Aaron isn't with us, but we have a special guest, Sam, from the Sam Said It Podcast. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming, man. Um, so today, we're going to talk about Regina King's <laughs> feature directorial debut, One Night in Miami. It is a very interesting film. It was um, based off a play by um, Tim. Can you refer it? Do you remember yeah. the, the screenwriter's Kemp, name? Kemp Powers, who also co-wrote Soul. That's right, Kemp Powers. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we talked about that on the Soul episode, how he was the same guy yeah, that was writing big, One Night in Miami. Big year. Yeah, definitely. And you know, it's based off a play that was written by Kemp Powers, which is a fictional account of a night where we have Cassius Clay, who later on be known as Muhammad Ali, in the same hotel room with Sam Cooke, um, Jim Brown, and Malcolm X. And what type of conversation comes from having these powerhouses in the same place at the same time? So we're gonna just get into it, you know. So what what are you guys' overall thoughts? What did you think? And I know you had a chance to sit down with Regina King, but even before you sat with her, what was your first initial thoughts of the film? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk to her because I love this movie. Um, I love the era. I love, I mean, it takes place in 1964. I watched mm-hmm. anything in 1964. It was just so interesting to me. And these four men coming together at this crucial time um, behind closed doors, I think it's just an incredible idea for a movie. I mean, they all have such public personas, but to imagine like, what would these four people talk about is right. incredible. And I wasn't disappointed. I mean, I, I thought they did a really nice job of humanizing everybody in a way you never see, especially Malcolm X, who you, you know, you've seen in the movie, um, you've seen in millions of speeches, even reading this book, this is the first movie. And I said this in the movie maker interview with Regina King. This is the first movie where I like realized he was 39 when he died. I mean, he had Whoa. kids, you know, he was just like, besides being a great man, he's also just a man. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I never even thought about the fact that he was 39 when he died. He accomplished so much within his lifetime. And I don't, I don't know. It's just to me, some of these people because of the fact of how we we view them as like these icon or in a sense like these these idols in a way that you know I don't even think about like how old they are or something they just seemed a lot older than what they were and a lot wiser um so what did what did you what did you think Sam what was your overall thoughts from seeing the film I loved it um from the very first minute I get to see their depiction of J- of James Brown where he's going to the house that is very obvious that his mother worked at as yeah. you know housekeeper or whatever you want to call that in a very PC kind of way to even hear that answer of oh you guys are moving furniture and I'm like oh man that, that that's awesome you know Jim Brown's gonna help me move furniture you know like it's just something like yeah that it would make all the sense in the world for to have that man help me move furniture like it's such a mundane task and then you hear you know, 12 minutes and 40 seconds into the movie, we don't we don't let your kind in our house. And it's like, gotcha. And you kind of see that throughout the movie as well, where you'll have Malcolm X going against Sam Cooke a lot. And you kind of see Jim in the back, like you hear all those things, he's the strongest man in the world. He's doing all these things. And you kind of can see him kind of be like, 
yeah, but I'm like, again, the Jay-Z song that came out a couple years ago, again, still nigga. Like, you're still that. No matter what part of life you're in, no matter if you're a preacher, no matter if you're singing, whatever, you can see Jim kind of going through that, like, yeah, they don't, I'm nobody's hero. Mm-hmm. And watching this just, <laughs> I was just geeking out, man. Like, this is, like, it is peering into a situation that you're like, yo, I would pay money to see this. Yeah. To be all a these on the wall, like all these brilliant people just together, whether it be you know in a situation like this where, again, we don't know exactly what happened, but for this play, which I didn't know it was a play until this, mm-hmm. and realizing, yeah, I want to seek that play out. Like I would love to see this again, but this movie, like I see some buzz about it winning again a few Oscars, which I think it should. Like I think Regina King definitely has put her foot in the door. Like yo, that she's becoming a name that for movies I would want to see. Right. I agree. I agree. I was, I think we, I don't know which episode, I think we talked about this when we went over Ma Rainey's Black Bottom about how, you know, usually sometimes taking a play and making it to a film, it doesn't work as well because of so much, all of the exposition that's in a play. And and with film, the biggest rule is show don't tell. Right. And this works just like in a way in how Ma Rainey works, but even better because of the, the people that are being depicted within this film. Like, like, like to add to Sam's point, it's just so great to be a fly on the wall. And we know this isn't what they actually talked about. We don't know what they talked about. They could have just been, you know, kicking the shit, you know? But um, because I, I think that it is based off a of time where they were at the same place at the same time, actually and people just speculating on what could have been said between them. But it's just, it's, it's just interesting once you know, when you know who these people are and what could they possibly talk about. And really what they're talking about is like conversations that I feel black people have, have always had, right? Um, even, you know, po- both pre and post slavery. Right, because it's, the, I want to say it might have been in Tim's interview where Regina talks about that, where the conversation that you're having back in 64 is sadly still the kind of conversation we're having in 2021, where you can easily get into a deep conversation about a group of people going to a Capitol building and wrecking it. Yeah. And someone trying to compare that to a Black Lives Matter movement and me raising my hand and saying, that's not the same thing at all. Yeah. Like if that was the opposite, I don't want to know what would happen to the Black Lives Matter. But the sad thing is people are going to compare those two things anyway. Mm-hmm. But again, looking at Malcolm X's like debate, like I I like a good debate. Like I like Sam coming out and being like, no, I am helping, but in my own way. Right. But even still knowing that, yo, you're I don't believe in what you believe, but I also believe you're trying to do something. And at the end of the day, or end of the day of this fictional situation, I think that's kind of what all that was getting to. Like when they bring up Bob Dylan's song and you can see in his face, like, no, I know what that song is. Like, no, 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 I no, I heard that, I've heard that song. I just can't make a song better than it. And like the frustration that would have to have for someone who as great as Sam Cooke was to be like, I can't beat that. 
like that song came out and I couldn't do anything about it. And now Michael Max is throwing it in my face where, <laughs> which I love as a plot point in a movie that like Michael Max was like, no, I when I had this conversation, I know Sam's going to say some shit. I'm going to bring this record just in case I got to put up a receipt for Sam to say something to me. Cause I'm like, why do you have that record? Is that record <laughs> just readily available to you? And, and- and you know what, to that, to that though, I don't think that it was more so that Sam didn't feel like he could make that song. Like he had that type of song in him. He just didn't feel like that would be the song that people would want to hear. And I think that was part of the point that Malcolm was trying to make was that you have pretty much a white man with the song that's talking about your struggles. And this song is number one on the charts, but you making like, you know, hoochie coochie music. <laughs> I didn't know what else to call it. It sounded like something my granddaddy might have said. <laughs> Old man. <laughs> but to find out, Malcolm's a Sam Cooke fan too. And that scene, that amazing scene when like- the Oh yeah. Movie. Oh yeah, the chain yeah. game. Uh, incredible. Just, I mean, I think the best scene in the movie. Man. But it was, and it, I think we all been in that moment where you're at a, at a concert or something. And it's just like, everybody just in tune with the music, kind of like what we saw, um, how they depicted in that one movie we saw, what was it, Lover's Rock? Oh my God, yeah. How like minutes of... Like, what was it like, 20 minutes of them singing the same song, it felt like? It's <laughs> it was... so long, and it's just, you're complete, it's like you're at the show. It's like yeah. you're at the party. Like, you're just so enveloped in it, yeah. yeah. And my favorite part about that scene was the fact that Malcolm was saying like, I couldn't even, at, at, at a certain point, you couldn't even hear Sam on the stage. Right. You just heard everybody else just humming and stomping their feet and just being in unison with each other. And that was just, that, that is like literal soul music. That's true soul music, you know, in my opinion. And I think that's what, that's what Malcolm was trying to say that you have, you're the most powerful person in this room because can no can nothing move anybody the way that music does right yeah and, and it can cross it can cross b- different barriers that even malcolm can't even cross with his with his um voice and his um his his skills as an orator so i don't yeah. know it was, it was an awesome awesome scene i like how they made that point that's the thing i think about a lot where you want people to connect at like a high philosophical level or like around a political theory or something like that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we could really make a difference if everybody was aligned on this candidate or something, but really we connect over like music over like video games, wrestling, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not always the most highfalutin stuff. It's sometimes stuff that we just really like on a basic pleasurable level. Right. And can appreciate together. That makes sense. Cause even in relationships, it can be that way too. Like, I think most of the women that I connected with the most was just because we had like certain stuff in common, like whether it's film or, you know, certain books or something like that. It wasn't just, it wasn't any, sometimes it's not even any deeper than that, you know? And then from there, um, you you find other stuff that you can have in common on a more deeper level from there, so. Yeah, I mean, my wife is just funny. Like, it's not just, she's not just funny, but if she wasn't funny, like, I don't know how we'd make it work. Like, she's she's funny. She she do seem pretty funny, man. <laughs> I, I I really miss y'all show by the way since you brought her up. 
Oh, so, we're working on it. Yeah, we're, okay. <laughs> I used to love listening to um, shoot this now, like because I liked y'all rapport and everything. <laughs> y'all used to come up with some some pretty creative stories and stuff to talk about, so it was pretty cool. Um, I was speaking of creative. I was just thinking when I was watching this, like prominent like black black people that I would want to see now in a room together. Wow. Like, and what would their conversation be? But then I was thinking, like, who would be in that room? Uh, wow. I keep thinking about the fact, remember when Kanye had kind of like a metal, he was kind of having an, an episode. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Nobody knew like what to do. And Dave Chappelle just went and hung out with him. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like I'm here making a statement or like I, you know, have this thing to tell the press or whatever. It was just like, this is my friend and I'm just here to be near him. Mm. I want to know how that conversation went. I mean, I'm not trying to make an equivalent between an equivalency between, you know, icons of 2020 and icons of 1964 or anything, but Mm -hmm. that just, I wondered about that one. Yeah. I would wonder about that too. Yeah. Cause you know, Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, like Netflix, was it Netflix a joke or whatever? It was him and Chris Rock, and they just told a story about how when Eddie Murphy was cut first coming up, and Richard Pryor was like there at one night and just sat and watched his set. And you could just see them geek out about that whole entire thing, about just hearing that story from Eddie and being like, I couldn't do it. Like you got Richard Pryor literally like sitting in a chair adjacent from you off screen, Man. judging your jokes. And like you hear that just again a story that honestly to them is probably like yo that's you know that's something that happened in our lives but for me to be able to even see that nowadays because you know everything's now recorded mm-hmm. you know you get to see again big statues of people like names you know from everywhere and with social media nowadays that list is ever growing right you ask what again what African Americans want to put in a room and <laughs> Again, this is gonna such this is such a normie answer, but like Obama's probably on someone's list yeah. just because of who he is and was that he's on a list. Like you asked me a person who I would like to have just a sit-down conversation with. Like yeah. Obama's gonna be on a list of just what are your ideas to help the African American community for the future? Right. Me. Man, that's that's a good one. I I don't know, like to me, it just I don't know who I would think would be interesting in the room together. Like what you just said about Kanye and Dave Chappelle, that would be something just to know what what did they even have a conversation about. Hmm. I was thinking like um, I don't know, like LeBron James and Jay Z. And um yeah. It was somebody else that I was thinking about too. I was just thinking about like, you just put all these people in the room, but I, I know for sure I had like LeBron James and Jay-Z in the room. And wow. and I kind of want Mike Tyson in the room, but he's not really like at his, <laughs> his prime. But it's only because sometimes I think Mike Tyson, people just sleep on some of the stuff that Tyson says. And he'd be dropping gems sometimes. Yeah. But sometimes you just can't get over how he talk. And like, <laughs> But once you get past that, you realize like this this man's really dropping gems. And that's how I felt too, like in the film, like with 
the person who I think seemed the most grounded out of all of them was Jim Brown. Now yeah. I would normally not listen to any, you know, I'm not saying I wouldn't listen to anything Jim Brown says. I just, you know, Jim Brown now I don't really agree with half of the stuff he says, you know. But how he's depicted in his film, he seems to be the more like well-grounded of the characters and stuff. And the one that kind of says stuff that gets the other thinking, you know? You know, I, it, when you said that, it's the first time I realized Jim Brown is still alive. Yes. Yeah, he's the only one. He's the only one, that's insane. Sam Cooke died late 64. He was shot, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm X died. February 65. Wow. And then Muhammad Ali recently. Yeah. And that is what I also like about this and Regina and the casting and all the people that they did. It's like these guys kind of don't know. Like one of them, the guy who played Jim Brown, whose name I have forgotten, which is on my other screen. I'll just hide. Right, like he was in Leverage. Like I've seen him before. The guy who played Muhammad Ali was in the 100. That one episode I saw of that. So like, yeah, he looks familiar, but none of these are like names. And yeah. I think that benefits this movie some because I don't. As much as I love Denzel Washington, I know I'm watching Denzel Washington when I'm watching a movie. Yeah, like especially like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Tenet, but like when I hear his son speak. Yeah. I get lost because I hear his father. <laughs> and it's just one of those things like, I like you. I do. It's confusing. But like, I I get distracted because I know your voice. I hear your father's voice. I'm kind of taken out of it. Yeah. While with these cats, they just sound like the guys. Yeah, that's a good point you mentioned. Because when I think about it, too, when I think of Spike Lee's version of Malcolm X with Denzel, I don't know, like... Young as a young man, when I was younger, when I thought of Malcolm X, I thought of Denzel more yeah. so than the yeah. actual real Malcolm X. Yeah. So it it was hard to kind of get that out of my mind because he played his version of Malcolm X, and he and he still, you know, he spoke like him and stuff like that. But you, like you said, he still had that bit of Denzel swag into it. Whereas, like when we see this guy. Um, which I can't remember his name, but I know he played on High Fidelity. But this guy Kingsley is Ben. I, I always mess it up because it's like the opposite of Ben Kingsley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that guy was amazing. Like I felt like he had like the the mannerisms down. Like they all had the mannerisms down as the people. They talked like them. The 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 um the way the elevations of their voices were nearly perfect. Right. And and they were not only giving their own take on the character, but really characters, but really bringing them a life and showing them outside of what what um what Tim was saying and even what Regina King was saying in the interview, where you see a more almost a more intimate side to them, and not so much of what they're known for. And it was also very refreshing to see a young Muhammad Ali. Like, and, and then just like with the age thing, like we're saying, like, this man was 22 years old, a champion, you know? Um, and he had a lot, a, a lot of weight on his shoulders and stuff. And he, and in this one, like you saw just a little bit underneath all that bravado 
that he had a little, you know, questioning of himself or a little bit of insecurities. And he leaned a lot on Malcolm to be like that, that, that brotherly or almost fatherly figure in a sense to give him guidance. Um, that's why it was in a way it was like, so heartbreaking, like at the end when he finally, you know, completely joins the nation of Islam and changes his name to Muhammad and he looks over and Malcolm's not there. Right. Yeah. yeah, that that blew me away in this movie. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. All right, fine. No, <laughs> but I was acting like, oh, you had a stop sign and you drive. Right. You gonna go? I'm gonna go. Like who? I remember my driving instructors like, like when you're ever in that situation, just be the bigger jerk. And I'm like, but like what? It's like yeah, just be the bigger jerk. Like they don't know you. And I'm like, oh. But I, I want them to become a good person. But no, um, with that, it's, I think we talked about it earlier too, with like Malcolm. And maybe I don't remember Malcolm X with Denzel Washington because it's been a couple of years, but I don't remember seeing Malcolm X ever cry. And like crying in front of Jim Brown of all people. You know, it's like the manliest man that's in this room. And that's a man who's also next to Muhammad Ali. You're yeah. crying in front of him because of just the frustrations. Yeah. And it's it again, it just reminds me a lot of again my own struggles with the church and religion and just all of it, where like again, I see all the good they're doing, but yeah, I have to leave. And when they talk about the girls and all that, where it's like again, not a footnote, but like, no, you understand why he why he's leaving. Like it's too much, there's too much going on. This isn't what he really signed up for, you know, morally and you didn't see just the breakdown of like, dude, I, man, I can't, like, I can't continue to keep going down this path and doing this. And that's why I like seeing again, his wife who again on Amazon Prime, I love like looking up to see the names. It's like Barbara X. I'm like Barbara X. That's a, that's a false name. Like Malcolm's <laughs> nice too, but I don't know something about Barbara X. It's like, what's your name? My name was Barbara X. What's your name? Man. And like even his <laughs> like relationship with his kids, where they're on the phone, you want and you see little girls like I want to speak to my father, yeah. Like I I want to speak to daddy, and to then at the very end, sadly, the Molotov that was thrown into his house, and all that, where again, you see all that happening, and you see the just like the, like it's is it like you can kind of see in his face, is this worth it? Yeah. That my family almost died tonight because of what I'm doing. You have the betrayal that is done very well, in my opinion, where you see what's happening. You, again, see, don't tell. You don't have to tell me, hey, that person's betraying you. I can see it. Yeah. You know, and you have all those kind of happening, that third act, where you you can kind of see him like I, like, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids. Is this the path I want to go down because you can see even in his wife that she's worrying mm -hmm. that now we have to sleep in a hotel because our house is literally on fire because my husband keeps going out and talking about the quote unquote white devils and, and also going against the nation. And it's just, I don't know, like it just a different side of Michael X, a different side for all these people to see the bravado of a Muhammad Ali who just seems like be like a great guy to be around. Like just, just seems fun. Just like you got all the jokes. Like, and it just like these, these are like a brotherhood that you want to be a part of that 
again, like, like we've always said, like, it just, you don't get to see that a lot. Like you don't get to see Muhammad Ali being young and kind of naive to an, to a, some, like a small extent. Like he's, he's young, he's a champ now. He, like he's having a good time. You're getting to see Sam Cook, getting to see again, all these big names that we know more of like history book names versus the people they actually are, which are complicated. Yeah. There's there's a movie coming out soon that I don't know if I'm allowed to say I've seen, but there's a conversation about Malcolm X where they talk about just how unflappable he is and how he never gets flustered and people will, you know, there are people who absolutely hated Malcolm X and would do, uh, certainly white people, but then there are also, you know, black people who thought he was going too far or were, shouldn't have said what he was saying. And he had to defend himself on all fronts all the time and just was completely collected and always had a cool logical answer. And I think this movie is, in my mind, the first to show how incredibly hard it is to do that and that he had some doubt himself. Like, what if what I'm saying, um, what if my approach isn't the right approach? What if the nation of Islam is the wrong way to go? What if I'm wasting time that I should be spending with my family? And it's just so much more heroic to be as brilliant as he was and as much of a leader as he was when you have all of that weight on you. Right. I um, It made me think too, like on a personal level about how, how, how um, important it is to have a, a set moral and value system that you follow. Yeah. Um, because, because, you know, in a way, I guess not in a way, that's where, you know, his faith comes in, right? Because, because of his faith and really actually believing in his faith, that is what a lot, that is what made him realize I can't be a part of the nation of Islam because I feel these people are being hip- hypocrites, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not, you know, they're, the leader is not practicing what he preaches. And that's when he said, because he, he said something to um, Cassius about how um, when he was asking him, I don't understand, like, why are you leaving the nation of Islam? Like, why are you trying to make me become a Muslim, but you're not going to be a Muslim no more? And he was saying, like, I think I'm leaving because I'm too Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was it was something powerful in that statement is that, like, I, I believe the faith in its truest, purest form that I'm not going to jeopardize my morals and values and my faith because I'm like this, you know, top minister mm-hmm. and go, and I'm not going to go against what I believe. And that is like, that is like super brave. Like it's a lot of people that would never do that. Especially like even now, like, you, you know, certain churches, like not, you know, not to talk about people, you know, but <laughs> I mean, what it is what it is. Like some people will go to a church and they know that the pastor is, is like sleeping with every woman on the on the front row, and they would defend them to to the death, you know. Oh, God. And and you're not sitting over here and and calling the pastor out on what he's doing or leaving that congregation, you know. Right. Because you could be you could be led you could be sheep being led to the slaughter. And I remember again, like I said, with my. Christian upbringing, but I remember several cases where again, just it, it always rubbed me the wrong way. Like where a girl would get pregnant and she was like technically thrown out the church. Like right. by technically, I mean just thrown out the church. <laughs> like ostracize. How dare you have premedical sex? You, you, you harlot. You, <laughs> you harlot. <laughs> but he gets to stay, and it's yeah. like 
even as a kid, I was like, wait, but but why? Because I remember a situation actually happened where one of the ladies who I'm not going to lie, had a, the biggest crush on, by the way, as like a 12 year old. And I was so confused because they were like this big meeting like, oh, she has to go. And I was like, but but I mean, she made a mistake. But I mean, but why does he get to stay? Huh? <laughs> and it's just like looking at this again like seeing again like if I have to choose like which one do you think you are kind of thing like the Malcolm one does kind of hit me close to home because it is that I'm looking at something that I know is good for people yeah but I also know this has a dirty side that a lot of people don't want to point out right he's interesting because like Malcolm X is one of those people who I don't think has skeletons in his closet. Like they would have come out by now, right? I mean, he was pretty upfront about, you know, getting arrested when he was younger and having a conversion and things like that. But it isn't, I don't think he was hypocritical in any way. Like of everything we've learned about him later. And, and, you know, at the time he was like, oh, the bad boy of civil rights or something. But like you look at him now and he is a stellar human being. And I don't know. I also just remembered you what you just said, <laughs> what you just said about the pregnancy thing. When I was a kid, they asked me and some of the other like young men of the church to help move the pastor's desk because the pastor had died. And we like were moving the desk out and we dropped it a certain way and a door slid open and all no. the porn fell out. No. That <laughs> oh. at the church. It was the best. Wow. And we were all like, this never happened, right? Yep. Okay. Oh God! <laughs> I kept it at home, man. He was a good pastor. Yeah. Again, I'm like, that's oh God. There's so many stories like that, though. Sadly, <laughs> that is just like, yo, this is foolish. But you know, the flesh is weak, and I'm like, come on now. <laughs> but no, I agree. Like, you know, <laughs> but no, I agree with Malcolm X. You're right. Like, I'm trying to think of any scandal, any. Again, most things you say is like he was very outspoken to the point that you could say maybe that was quote unquote dangerous. But even then, that was still his own right to do. Yeah. I I also think it's something to be said about somebody that already kind of had a past. Yeah. Like, you know, he lived, what was it, like a pimp, a drug smuggler, you know, a hustler. He did all these things already when he was younger. So, and I don't know, I might be weird in this sense. Like, I kind of trust the person more that that had that type of past and then changed and reverted than a person that just seemed completely squeaky clean. Like, you ain't did nothing? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just, I personally, I just can't. It, and it's and it also, it's kind of hard to relate to a person like that, too. Mm-hmm. Especially if they getting up preaching to you or telling you this and telling you that. And I was thinking about that, too, as I was watching this film, is like, how much of his past do the other, do like Sam Cook know, for example, because he did kind of say something about, you know, well, your father should have beat you better or something like that. And it, it could just be something he just saying, or it could just be something that like has been shared. Yeah, I think that was personal. Like that, that yeah. was the argument. That's, that's, that was your mama joke kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I know this is going to hurt you because I know you told me this story. Like I, like, you know, again, Michael Max is somewhat of a celebrity of the time, you know, like I know that you went through this struggle. So I'm going to point that out to you. It's kind of like, and you're in a bad relationship. They, they, there's a button you don't press, 
you know the button. You know that she's sensitive towards this, he's sensitive towards that, whatever it is. But you know in that argument where you're trying to make the argument, oh, that's why your mama did. And you're like, oh, okay. See, and that's when you just have to leave. It's like, no, 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 see. <laughs> you, you press the button and you know the button. And with Sam, with them, with the way they made this movie and the way that Regina did a wonderful job with it, you can feel that this is not something that you've known just for like a year. You've known these guys. Like some of them probably even maybe did know Den Denzel. <laughs> Knew Malcolm X, you know, in that transition-y time. Because even Sam kind of makes it, kind of makes a joke about it. It's like, yeah, you used to be, you used to be more fun. Oh, and, yeah. You know, like you used to be, like, I just remember you being more fun. And Malcolm's like, you know, I've always, I've always been the same guy. He was like, yeah, but something's not right. Like mm -hmm. something's different. And you can see that struggle there where people have changed, like in any kind of friendship. People are going to change, especially when you're trying to make change for a people. And even when you see him pushing at Sam, it's out of love. It is out of, no, I, again, when you get to the end part where we've already mentioned where he's moving a crowd that can't even hear him sing. Right. Like they are emotionally being moved by his own presence there. Because they were throwing things at him too, and I was like, "Well, that's disrespectful. Like, like that's mad disrespectful." But like within what a minute, maybe, like a movie time minute. But like it's still, you know, within a minute, got him right back. Mm -hmm. And that's what Malcolm can see, where it's like for him, I can't do that. Like I can't get a crowd on my side so quickly, while you through music can do that so easily. Mm -hmm. And that to me is just when you see this, the friendship and the brotherhood there where, again, in your interview of her wanting, Regina wanting to do a love story, but not this kind of love story. It's like, no, this is the love story that I would love to see. Right, right, right. I love how she told that story too. She told it like rope-a-dope where I was like, huh? <laughs> oh. Right, because it was like love story. This this is not, oh, oh, you <laughs> I got you. You kind of frozen me a little bit there. You got me on the frozen. True love. I understand. It's that brotherly love. Right. <laughs> um, and I did think that Sam was a very interesting character because it's, you know that there's it, it's like that Um, I didn't know if he really had this, but he kind of felt this way like he, has, he had this um, kind of like a survivor's remorse. And, you know, Malcolm is kind of like pointing this out like, yeah like you made it but what about all those that's left mm -hmm. behind like what are you doing for all of those that's left behind you know you're making this music for these white people but you're not really talking about nothing and and I think that may have been something and why I can kind of relate with Sam with that is like at the end of the day he just want to be a musician maybe you know he wants to entertain people. He wants them. That's why he didn't get off the stage when people were booing at him and throwing mm -hmm. drinks and stuff at him because he wants them to have a good time when they show up. It's like he's a true entertainer in that sense. And he was going to do what he had to do to, to make that happen. And so that may just be like what he wants to do. But then Malcolm is constantly in front of him trying to remind him that you have so much more that you can give to the people you know you can inspire you can you know have people that listen to your music and want to be a part of part of the struggle you know and or wake them up in some type of way 
And I don't know. And then there's a part of me that's like, I, I, I feel where Malcolm is coming from, definitely. But then there's a part that's like, is it, is it really the, the responsibility of the entertainers to try to pull everybody up to where they're at? Yeah. You know, like, is it, cause it's, it's like, you can only save so many, right? So what was you about to say, Sam? You look like you about to say something. No, cause it's, it's, that is the debate I paused the movie and just thought about for like a good 20 minutes. Right. Of, I get, like, cause again, when I see Malcolm give his very passionate speech, like, I understand where he's coming from. Like to him, he looks at Sam, Sam's not on the front lines. He's not out here looking at black people actually dying in the streets. He's out here shucking and jiving for these white people. And for Malcolm to see that, and then Sam kind of come back, like, no, I am helping, but in my own way. When he talks about the royalties check, which, or even he even talks about he owns his own masters, which to me is like, yo, that's dope. That's yeah, like back in twenty twenty one, some people don't own their own masters. Like, for you to have that to kind of then tell oh boy about the Rolling Stones, <laughs> like even that that's that story of like you know we're. This is how this works. Six months later, you just flip that check to being even bigger than it would ever be on your own record. And it makes me wonder, like, is it up to celebrities or musicians or sports players to do more than just make a check? Mm -hmm. Like, should LeBron James say, you know what? I'm going to not play this season. Or even like for Kyrie Irving as actual present day example where Kyrie kind of came out and was like you know what a lot of stuff happening maybe I don't want to play basketball right now yeah. and a lot of people jumped him forward and a part of me believes in maybe you should take that break because if you're really passionate about making a change you putting a ball through a hoop doesn't really do that right or you, as in Sam Cooke, you're making a song about, you know, cuddling under, under the pillows or whatever. Like, that's not really changing in a dramatic way that Malcolm and a lot of people who kind of think in that way want that to be. That right. you want to make a change. You want to be able to march. You want to be able to go out in these streets and make an actual change. While there's going to be some who are going to be a Sam Cooke kind, who's like, no, I am making a change. But again, like I said, like by giving out a check, by posting something on Instagram, I don't need to be in the quote unquote streets to actually make that change happen because I am doing that. And it just makes me one, like, again, I don't have that big of a voice. I am not LeBron James or Oprah or anyone else who could literally just give, leave me alone money to people and they will leave her alone. And it just makes me, like, again, that's the debate I had in my head is like, should they be doing more? Like, because with Sam Cook's whole argument, he is doing something. Like, it's not as if he doesn't know what's happening. Even though the movie will kind of put him in a way that he is at the Saditi Hotel. He is at the hotel where he couldn't book it himself, even though his name is Sam Cook, that his white manager had to do it. You know, like, you see those small little tidbits there where it's like, even when he goes to the hotel, they're all staying out. It's like, wow, this is like a it's like a, a rat hole or whatever he says. And it's like, you can kind of see where Malcolm gets the idea that you've made your way 
and you're going to be leaving other people behind because of it. Because for everyone you say, no, I'm going to bring them up, I'm going to bring them up, sometimes they don't make it. Mm-hmm. And for Malcolm, Malcolm is wanting to be there for the everyone. Like, I want to make sure everyone makes it, whether you are a pro ball player or the dude that's mopping up LeBron's sweat. Like, I want you to be able to make it. And I think that's the kind of, again, the kind of the point to see it, all of them with a different angle to kind of the same issue. Right. That I am helping, but in my own way, Malcolm saying that's not good enough because, again, at the end of the day, there's still going to be people you left behind because you've made it and you like, like it just won't, it won't matter at the end of the day because, again, those people you kind of just had the crumbs with just won't be there. Yeah. And I think that one of the tragic things about it is that you just can't save everybody. That's how I believe. Like, no matter, and I, I think that's what another thing that's very fascinating about this movie is that I don't really side on one side over the other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I see where both, where, where everybody is really coming from and what, you know, what everybody's arguments are. And it's kind of, you know what it really reminds me of? It, it reminds me of, I haven't been here in like forever, but barbershop conversations. Like, Black barbershop conversations are just like this, but it's not between Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Cassius Clay. But these these people exist. Like yeah. you're gonna have these people having pretty much these exact same conversations even to this day. And and I always felt like nobody is really completely right. Like the pro black brother is never completely right. right. The the, the conservative black brother, of course, is never completely right. None of them is right, but they all have pretty valid points. You know, the same way as that I'm not, it, it's hard for me to be like completely like far left and I'm definitely not far right, you know, but somewhere in between, I feel like there, there has to be like some type of, um, I guess you could say compromise or some type of happy place somewhere in between, you know. And then also understanding that you really, everybody cannot be pleased. I can't think of a situation, even in this country, where everybody will be pleased. There's going to always be somebody that's going to be like, this is fucked, <laughs> regardless, you know. Um, because, And then also there's going to be people that feel like, for whatever reason, their rights are being stamped out. But, you know, oh, gosh. To, to help someone else, right. like, you know, example, wearing a mask, <laughs> like, <laughs> has now become a civil rights issue. Ugh. Oh, man. Ooh, I... Yeah. <laughs> Which it's not. No, <laughs> it's definitely not. No. Like, man, side note, the no shirt, no shoes, no service is not a law. That is something that we do. <laughs> because, again, the business says, I would like for you to wear a shirt, please. A business saying wear a mask doesn't have to be a law. That's my policy. Please just do it. Like if you have a medical condition, great. There's an online service. We can send it out to you. But I don't want to do that. It's like, please help me. I just. I'm a coffee shop. And if you give anybody COVID in my coffee shop, you don't get sued. I do. Right. Like the one lady from this last year was like, I want to say it was in a Panera or something. And just started coughing. Cause like, oh, you want to wear a mask? Oh, whatever. <laughs> and they didn't know she was being recorded. And then when she started recording, it was like, oh no, my face cover. Uh-huh. I'm like, no, you you've already been acting bad. It's too late now. 
Like you, you came out here not wanting to wear your mask, wanting to call on people, just, just double down and just say, yeah, I did it to the camera, to this face and keep walking. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I would say though, and especially, I, I don't know what part of Texas you stay in. Well, you in Dallas, right? Dallas, yes. Fort Worth, right? Mm-hmm. Man, I was telling Tim like out here, it's like, there's not even a pandemic. That's how people live in. And, and I'm, I'm be honest, I don't really like wearing a mask, but it's not so bad to a point where it's like, I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. You know what I'm saying? If I'm, if I'm possibly protecting people around me. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it, it always reminds me, like when I think about the mask, I think about seatbelts. I feel that mm-hmm. I remember there was a point in time where we did not have to wear seatbelts. That is correct. That would be pre like 96. Okay, so pre 96. Like, yes. So do you remember like how you like mo- those cars, they didn't have the little beeping sound? Oh yeah. Like now oh, yeah. you can't get in a new car without that shit saying put on your fucking seatbelt. You know, I might actually just stop this car because you decided not to put your seatbelt on. Exactly. Like, oh yeah, I forgot they got that too. But but the thing oh, is, yeah. I feel like the reason why that was happening because people are flying out the fucking window. You know, so <laughs> it's like because people did not want to wear their seatbelts, right. so therefore they don't want to protect themselves because of the inconvenience of wearing the seatbelt. I think that's the same thing with the mask. Is that had to been forced upon us to do it? Well, I live in America. America, yeah. America is free. Last time I checked, right. <laughs> this is the thing I thought about today, and I don't know how this ties in, but I was thinking about Malcolm X a lot. And I mean, it was MLK Day yesterday. Yeah. yeah. It seems like when they're, when Black Americans protest something, they're protesting for the system to work. Mm-hmm. And when yeah. white Americans protest something, they're often protesting that the system would work. Like, <laughs> we're getting mad about like, there's a mask rule and we have to follow it or like there was an election and we're expected to heed the results. And I don't mean to group all white people together because obviously there's some white people who are delighted about Biden becoming president tomorrow. I'm one of them. Um, But it's such a strange thing when like the law and order people are not (laughs) and haven't historically, even going back like 50 years, this isn't like a new thing. I mean, they were the ones getting mad about voting rights. You know, it's it's a strange, it, it, it's strange when like calling your country to follow your country's own laws is seen as like revolutionary and radical. Right. And I, again, we're getting it down this political path, but when you have someone who can't do the simple thing and just say, I lost and I'm gonna take my ball and I'm gonna go home, <laughs> When you you have someone that can, like, even even when he did concede, kind of, (laughs) and I give it a hard kind of, when he was still lying, saying, no, I I called the police. Yeah, I did. And like, but didn't Pence say that he's the one? So, wait, but didn't everyone else say you didn't want to call? And having those other people come out and said that, yeah, we asked them for like five or six times, should we come out? And they were like, nah, you good. Like, so we, you can't stop lying. Like, 
the funniest thing about all of this is one tweet I saw was like, so they, they counted all the votes and we can't ask any questions? No, you can ask questions. Like you have your civic right, your American right to ask questions. But when I show you the receipts and the receipts say you lost, that's it. Don't ask for more receipts. Don't be calling the store saying we need to find 12,000 more receipts so I can win Georgia. That's not how this works. You lost. Like it's, it's again, it's fine to ask questions. Again, I'm, I'm an inquisitive person. I love asking questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Especially if this is your first election. Maybe you don't know that yes, they count into the night. That's not new. But yeah. to, to seed so much hate for the last four years that your legacy is the insurrection. Like there's nothing else you did. There's nothing else I care about. I don't care about who you, where to grab women. I don't care about whatever you said to whatever other prime minister or whatever other country. That's your legacy. Your legacy bubbled up to this because that's all you've been sowing for the last four years. Mm -hmm. And to see people get so upset over something that will happen again in another four years. <laughs> it's like, dude, it, and if Biden loses, you know what? I put my hands up, he lost, cool. Like if there's something notorious happening or like sneaky and I see somebody in the back, like with a trench coat and a hat, I'm like, hey, what are you doing back there, sir? Like, no, like that, then sure. Again, you have questions to ask. If there's something shady that is happening, then yeah, let's ask about it, let's talk about it. Again, every year there's some dead person who votes. It just happens. <laughs> there's always that, that issue of a dead person voting. Again, we'll pluck it out, make sure, again, it's the right vote, the wrong vote, whatever, and move along. Like the idea that all of this just ended with a giant period of just insurrection and we're literally in Pelosi's office with my feet on the desk that people are being fired from their jobs because of this, that people are now having to explain, hey, you took that, um, you took a certain day off. What, what were you doing? <laughs> like legit, a, a guy in Houston, like a police officer in Houston got fired because of it. Because again, there were videos that came out, looked oddly like him. And the police were like, yeah, we, we cannot be behind someone who believes that that is the right action to have. Yeah. You know, I was, um to add to what you were saying, as I was thinking about this movie, I remember, I don't even know how to really say this, but I was just thinking about how peculiar the human experience is. Like almost to a point, like there's so many things that happen as if it's like somebody's right, like like that stranger than fiction type of thing. Yeah. And it's like, you can't believe like that this happened. Just like, for example, you, it's, it's still a weird feeling to look on the other side of the counter and somebody's wearing a mask and you look around and everybody around you wearing masks. Yeah. And you living in the age of a pandemic. Like something, you know, I've probably seen on TV or some Walking Dead type shit. Yeah. And it's like now I'm actually living in this thing. And then when they um when they um <laughs> did all that stuff at the Capitol, it just looked like I'm like what what episode am I watching? Like what am I what is this, right? <laughs> like this alternate dimension and stuff. And then it just got me to thinking about even being black, just sometimes feel 
I don't know, like science fiction almost when you think about it. Like, it's almost like just the idea of knowing that you are the ancestor of people who were taken from their land and brought to a whole nother land and they had to fight for your freedom while you in this place that they didn't abducted you from is something, it's just something very peculiar about that, you know? Um, almost like an, an alien invasion story. And I used to always think about that when I was a kid about how I was always that kid that was into like fantasy and science fiction. Yeah. And I feel like part of why I was in it because I felt like I could see the parallels between that and reality. And how like even the fantasy world, like even J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Star Trek make more sense than real life. You know? <laughs> oh, man. So yeah. that's my piece on that. <laughs> when you're talking about how black artists have to always decide, like, am I going to be, am I going to be an activist or am I just going to be an artist? And they have this choice that they have to make that white artists never are asked to make like until very recently when people started going like taylor swift declare yourself like white people could pretty much go through their whole careers not expressing any political opinion on anything and right. nobody objected but if you're you know a black football player people insist that you are held to this higher standard and just what you said just now about being like a sci-fi movie it just i could go to Nebraska and hang out with white people and not think about or talk about or be aware of race for mm -hmm. weeks at a time. Like it would just, it might never come up. And just like to be confronted with this stuff, I just can't imagine what that's like to have to be confronted with this, with the, the bullshit constantly must just be bizarre. I don't have any like question or or smart thing to say. It's just like you saying that just makes it, it just occurs to me how absolutely weird that must be. Yeah, it's bizarre when, like I said, when you step back and think about it, but when it, you realize that this is just life, you don't even think about how bizarre it is, you know? Like, it's just because you like, this is this is just what I know. But I was thinking like, if I was just, something else like even if i was an alien i was just looking down at, at, at earth and just seeing how people live i'd be like it's bizarre that they live this way it's bizarre that there's this type of history amongst these groups of people you know um yeah and i, I love a historical movie too because right. it forces people to acknowledge that all this stuff is true because like a lot of the I feel like a lot of what political party you're in or what you believe just comes down to how much history you've chosen to pay attention to. And if you, if you take it from the perspective of like life began in 1980 and everything's been cool since 1980, which it hasn't, right. but you know, <laughs> then it's like, why isn't everything completely equal? It's like, okay, I, I, that's a more reasonable position to take if you are taking it from 1980 on but if you choose to accept the reality of what this country is and where we came from, you kind of have to see the world the way I think we all see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just the, the thing that you're taught about America is that it's, you know, all men are creative equal and all of this stuff. And then you realize that, three-fourths of the people in the country at that time couldn't vote 
Right. Mm-hmm. Like all men created equal. Asterisk. <laughs> if you don't have, if you don't have any melanin, you're cool. Yeah. Like and it's man. and a man, also a man can't have can't always need to have a penis. Um, <laughs> need to be also be white. And that's kind of the sad part about this. I remember, <laughs> I really just remember the story. Um, about about ten years ago now, I was working at a place, and this girl who I was cool with was dating this Hispanic guy, and like we were all cool. So like after work, we would go get something to eat. And I remember she she like sat me down right before I was eating. I was like, Sam, I need to ask you a question. And I'm like, All right, cool. So, you know what's the question? I'm like, and I'm not racist. And I'm like, All right, well. Let's, 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 let me get what this is about. Put my fork down. Like I'm not gonna eat because either it's going to be racist <laughs> or just something I need to explain. And it, it was a lot. It was something I just needed to explain because she was observing some African-American women and kind of what they brought up in the movie as well, where she observed that light-skinned black people are being treated differently than a dark-skinned black person. And she didn't get it. They also use a term like you're acting light skinned. <laughs> and I was so funny because I'm like, yeah. Oh, wait, you don't know what that means. Oh, I need to explain this to you then. And it became honestly like a black history lesson of we got to go back to kind of slavery days. Got to go back to master having relations with the slave. Kind of got to get to the whole being fair skin business. And even like all of that. And to me, it was like that. That to me is not a bad question though. Like if you are someone of a different race or of any kind, whether it be black to white, white to black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, and you don't understand, just have a conversation. Like Dave Chappelle had an old joke about the Rodney King beating where it's like white people didn't realize that was going on until it was like in Time Magazine. And to me, it was like, how would you not know? Because you don't live in my world that there are two worlds out here and when you look at it, there is Black America, and then there's White America, Hispanic America, whatever you want to put that in, where when you have those conversations, it's like, oh, yeah, the barbershop. And when you talk to someone who doesn't really go to a barbershop, what do you mean the barbershop connection? Yeah. Like the connection to a barbershop where you, like, it's a relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like when you find a good barber, I'm going to that barber every time. If I find a bad barber, I'm never talking to him again, never going to that barbershop again. Like it's seeing all those things happen and just realizing that this world, and not to get again back to that, but it's like, it's when the person says all lives matter and you have to explain that's the point. That black lives matter is just acting, asking to be equal to all lives matter. Like that's literally the point. And having to kind of sit certain people down and have that conversation to say, no, this is what's happening in these streets. This, and again, with the Dream of King um, interview, I think you guys pointed out that as well. It's like, as African-Americans, we look at police differently. Like we grew up not trusting the police. Like if you, you missing or you're lost, find another black person, they'll help you out. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you want to find a cop? No, no, I'm good. I'll be all right. And it's just the different worlds we all kind of live in that hopefully one day we'll get broken down to not being so separate. Yeah, I'm shoot, I'm from the world where I don't even want to call the cops on my worst enemy. 
Right. Like if I got into it with another dude, he could have broken my apartment. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, me and my cousins gonna go handle him. I'm not, <laughs> if I call the police, the police, we might, we might both. whoop ass. The police right. might kill him. Right. You know what I'm saying? Somehow y'all both gonna be in jail. It's like, wait, how? To, huh? <laughs> yeah. Or, or we both be in jail. Right. You no, know, I remember. Um, I don't know if I told Tim this story, or if I ever said it on the podcast, but I, I, uh, I'm gonna tell this story. I know we need to wrap up soon, but it, it made me think about. When I was in college, I stayed in these little like rinky dink apartments. They were like made in the they had to be made in the 60s or whatever. And I had these um these white neighbors and they was like throwing a party, like a real, real party. Like they had they had all you know, all the rap music playing and stuff. It was like it had to have been like two thousand and um I forgot when it was two thousand six or something like that. So they playing uh, from the windows to the walls and all this other shit. And so all of a sudden I just hear like, I just hear all these obscenities, like just somebody just like going off on somebody. And I heard boom, I look down the hallway. They they just start beating this dude ass down the steps. It was these three white boys beating up this other white boy and they beat him all the way down the steps. And as they was hitting them, they kept just saying the N word with every hit as they was beating them down the steps. And I was like, and so I'm just sitting there, I'm just chilling. And um, me and one of my cousins was there. And then this other guy, he stepped out of his apartment. He was black too. And we literally watched these white boys jump this other dude. And they they beat his ass all the way to his truck. The guy went in his truck and he just drove off, right? And then the guys, they were like, hey, we sorry about that. He said, y'all want a case of beer? And because the cops were coming and then they was just like, you know, you know, don't, you know, don't say nothing. I said, we ain't saying shit. We about to go inside, you know? So they gave <laughs> us the case of beer. The cops came, they talked to him and they was like, oh, they made up some type of lie. And the cops were like, okay, I guess it appeased them. The cops left. The dude who asked they would came back with another guy who I think was his dad or older brother. And they just started fighting again in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> like they just straight, straight throwing hands. And then we started watching again, so I stepped out of my apartment watching, and their, their girlfriends was there, and they one of them was like, "You, you guys need to help them, like y'all need to break this up before the police come again. They're gonna arrest them." I said, "What the fuck? What what, what we look like? <laughs> like they gonna arrest us if we try to break it up? We ain't not nothing to get involved with that shit." But it was like the most bizarre thing ever, like. They they straight and then I think at one point Nuck if you buck was playing I could have mm. sworn that <laughs> many of fights have started around Nuck if you buck like Nuck if you buck is the prime example of anyone wants to say there's a spirit in a song Nuck if you buck could be played at a funeral and somebody <laughs> will start fighting like it only takes one push. No offense, I didn't even know white boys fought like that. Like how they was fighting. That was that was like they was throwing like hard hooks in the upper. Haymakers. <laughs> like this this had to have been before like UFC was like super popular and stuff. And I swear one guy tried to run at the other guy. He picks them up and slams them on the ground. Jesus. I'm like, are they like mixed martial arts fighters or something? Like they was really doing stuff. They want you to help with that. I'm not, I ain't about to help no, with that. I'm not gonna jump into that. <laughs> But, did the guy um, who called the other guy the n-word did they go like oh hey sorry about that part no they they just <laughs> that 
<laughs> okay, so okay, so another thing too. Um, sometimes back home, people who were not black will sometimes just just say it, and then like you just you know you just have to check them. And I I don't know how to explain it. They just kind of I don't want to say they they try to act black or something. I guess that's not the right way to say it. But sometimes I guess they just have a lot of black friends, and so therefore they feel like they had the freedom to talk any type of way. So, so they're the bit from the Dave Chappelle show. Yeah, pretty of, much. Of like, we gave you the black card and then <laughs> keep getting beat up because, like, I remember. And again, again, I'm gonna close because again, I love these random stories we have. <laughs> I went to a festival that, like, I was only going because J Cole was there. It was mm-hmm. J Cole and Migos, but I had to sit right. through like Trippy Red. <laughs> and like all these other children all these other children <laughs> and i remember because it was in dallas it was hot it was like august i guess and one of the songs of course had the n-word in it and i remember like you know i'm with me and my girlfriend at the time you know we're all singing having a good time the n-word is coming up to the song and like like a sitcom tv show Ooh. I lock eyes with a little white girl to the right of me. And I look at her as it's coming up and you could see her do the and just keep moving. Didn't say nothing, sir. And I started laughing because I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to sit here like fight this girl. I don't know you, but it's just funny when she's like, I don't know if you're going to say the word, but you look like you might have. I'm glad I helped you make a good decision. Yeah, I think sometimes they get caught in the moment, man. Cause I seen a I seen a situation with some Asian guys that that were like throwing a word at each other. They were about to get the fighting in the club, and it was just like, what where, where these guys come from, man? Like, why are they acting like this? I had an Indian friend ask me, like, could I say it? And I'm like, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know these rules anymore. Like, I remember. When I was a kid, I went to mostly a all-black school. It was a private school. Mm-hmm. And my first like public public school wasn't until high school. So I remember going to high school because again, I my church was black, my neighborhood was black, school was black. So again, hearing the N-word wasn't that big of a deal for me. Mm-hmm. But when I heard it from a Hispanic person for the first time, I was a little upset. I was like, what you say? And they're like, yeah, I said, I'm like, wait, no, why is no one else? Oh, is it because I'm minority? Like I don't like I don't understand the rules that just happened that he could oh okay, I guess. And it just became something like I conditioned with where it's like, okay, black people. Okay, logic. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Spanish people. You know, it's like, okay, where where else are we going? Like this 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 is getting really wide. And like you said with again the white people who also say it, where you're like Listen, I, I'm not going to fight you because I just don't have a kind of spirit. But don't say that around certain people. Because certain African-Americans will hear you say that and will fight you. Yeah, like that Twisted T situation. Twisted. Oh. <laughs> Did you see that, Tim? I didn't see this. Oh, we got to send you the video, man. Oh, no. It's, it's, like, it's like, it's going crazy. Like, I don't know if it's like a black social media thing where they like constantly posting pictures of people with like twisted T as a weapon. So the whole deal was like this white guy had, um was saying the N word and this, the, the black guy kept telling him to stop saying it, stop saying it. And he just 
kept testing them, and then the guy just hits him with a can of twisted tea, twisted <laughs> alcohol, and like he just literally busts him across the face with this shit. And 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 then I then he throws him to the ground and just start beating him, and then yeah. the guy was just like, "I'm straight, I'm straight." <laughs> After he just got his ass, and no one helped. Everyone was kind of like, "Mm-hmm." Everybody mm-hmm. was literally standing. And then it was some white girl or woman or something said, "That's what you get." <laughs> as long as you know the rules. <laughs> like as long as you uh, know the rules. No folks got one meme of the white boy like dressed up with like you know some khakis and a dress shirt. It looked like he at church. <laughs> And they said, they said, they said, now nah, he saved. Oh. You know, he got his ass whooped so bad that he saved. <laughs> I, can't. I can't. Man, oh, but man. but anyway, that's that's all. I mean, I think we can go ahead and wrap up. We talked for a while and we had some good stories and stuff. So um any, anything else you guys wanna wanna add like before we close out? If people want to check out the Regina King interview, it's at Movie Maker. Uh Wherever you're listening to this podcast, switch over to Movie Maker after this, or listen to the next episode of Low Key. Um, we don't care. We love them all. <laughs> we'll be here. Oh, and of course, listen to Sam said it. Oh yes, listen to me rant about the two-time. Um, uh, heck, I'm forgetting the word now. What is he? No, he got kicked out the office. What is that word? Again, this is not the example of why you should listen to my podcast, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's great. It's great. Well, no, definitely Sam said it podcast, Sam said it DFW on all social media. I would I am getting back to social media as well. Took a small hiatus, and by small, I mean for several months just to get away from it for a little bit. Right, right. A lot going on on social media for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely getting back to that. Um, but yeah, man, thank you once again to both of you all to the low key podcast. Rate and subscribe to these guys if you are not. Again, yeah. follow them on all their social media because they are great guys. You should do such a thing to hear some of these great conversations. And again, just to give another plug, that Regina King interview that Tim did, like, I want to be able to do interviews like that one day. Man, uh, hey. Let me know who you want to interview and Don't do this. <laughs> For real, you got the voice, man. I feel like you could do it, man. Just do it. Oh, God. Oh, Because I've thought about that, too. I was like, if there was a chance of me to talk to Regina King, like, I don't know what I would ask. Like, I'd just be like, hi. Uh, <laughs> well, I we, like you. Right. We edited you know, out. I always loved you and Jerry Maguire. Um, we out a lot of me stuttering and asking stupid questions. So, yeah. It was, it was all right. It was <laughs> yeah, man. Again, just thank you guys, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming, man. So, um, like Sam said, follow us, subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook and at the Low Key Pod, and we're out of here. Peace. Peace.